everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. Welcome to church, everybody. Glad that you're here. Feel like we had like uh, the middle portion, the rapture happened, but just of the middle portion. Um, my name's Jonathan. Glad that you're here. The, that's a dramatic drift that we just witnessed. And uh, the drift I want to talk to you about this morning doesn't happen dramatically like that. Now, there are, I've had a dramatic drift where, for instance, if you are on a intermediate mountain bike trail and you drift just like one degree or two degrees off course, that's what happens. So I'm mugging a bit for the camera there, but um, it, if, it was funny in that I had to go back to the scene of the crime and look for my glasses. My glasses were two inches in the dirt, which means my face must have plowed two inches into the dirt. And the next person that came down the hill, interestingly, was an elder at my former church and a doctor. And uh, his advice was, you're dumb and wear a helmet. So... uh, Good advice. Let's get that picture off there now. Good. All right. The drift I'm talking, well, it's more illustrated in a story that I may have told you already, but when, when our family was in Hawaii, and it was a day that was very unusual. The, the, the tides were weird. The waves were super high. In fact, we would find out later two tourists had, two different beaches had, had died because of the severity of these waves, but we did find this little section of a beach where it seemed the waves were crazy here, but in this sort of corner of the ocean, it, was, it seemed relatively calm. So, so we swam for a while, and I'm out with Gracie, and she's on her, you know, rubber ducky dinghy or whatever it is, and I'm just sort of holding on, and uh, just sort of hanging out in the ocean, and... Uh, and I, I'm facing the horizon, and I, and I look back, and I'm like, huh, we have made quite uh, a distance away from the beach. That's interesting. And I look back, and I see Victoria standing on the, on the beach. I'm like, what's, what's she looking at, I thought to myself. And I look back again, and there were several people standing on the edge of the beach looking. And, I, and you know what I'm doing? I'm looking to try to look where they're looking. What do they, is there, a, is there a ship out there? Huh, interesting. I look back again, there's uh, two strapping Hawaiian lifeguards on their, on their boogie boards swimming out, and I thought, oh, some idiot tourist is in trouble. <laughs> Hate to be that guy. They're, they're coming towards Gracie and I, and... Uh, and they get there, and I go, is everything okay? I said, well, you are, you are drifting towards this area over there where there's a, what do you, like a riptide. And close to that riptide are 
really dangerous, sharp rocks. And I'm like, all right, you know, mother. I'll... So um, we'll start swimming back. So they help Gracie, you know, by pulling her raft along. And uh, I don't need help. I'll just start swimming. I, <laughs> I'm just swimming in one spot. I can't make any headway. And so this strapping Hawaiian lifeguard has to help me. I have this image of him, like, carrying me out of the water, you know. <laughs> wasn't quite, quite that bad. But the drift, the drift is insidious, isn't it? And it's, it's slow at times, and you, and you sort of come to, and you go, how did I get from here to there? Um, have you... Have you read the book of Hebrews in your Bible? It's a tricky one. Maybe we'll study it one day as a church, but I'm not, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to lead you through it. But here's a couple things I noticed in chapter 1 of Hebrews. There's no, there's no list of uh, you should do this, you shouldn't do this, uh, you should start doing this, you know, you should try not to do this. Nothing like that. It's simply this. God has spoken to us, and Jesus is greater than all. Uh, he is enough. Jesus has made a way for us to walk in wholeness. Jesus has made a way for the forgiveness of sins. And you and I can be made whole. Jesus is supreme. He's the heir of all things. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, he made the world. Verse 3 says, he upholds all things. Hebrews says, you want to know what God looks like? Well, look at Jesus because he is the exact representation and radiance of God's nature. Jesus is perfection. Jesus is glory. Jesus is better. Uh, he sat down at the right hand of God in majesty. He's greater than even the angels because the angels worship him. He is mighty God. That's the message of chapter one. God has spoken by his son, and this son is creator and sustainer, and owner, and ruler, and redeemer of the world. There are, there's no commands for us here. There's just a declaration that Jesus is great, and celebrate his greatness. That's what chapter 1 says. Now, let's just look at chapter 2. Here's what it says at the beginning of chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not, say it with me, drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, so chapter 2 begins, and some versions begin with, for this reason, dot, 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 or um, therefore since, in other words, chapter 2 begins by telling us after chapter 1, because of the greatness of Jesus, pay attention so that you don't drift Pay attention because God has spoken through his son in these last days. And the author reminds his listeners who would have been Torah readers that if the older covenant was delivered by angels and prophets 
and men of God. Um, and that older covenant or promise was, was binding by life and death. How much more then does this gospel? You know, like if the king, if the president, if the emperor, if the prime minister sent you a message by a special messenger, you'd pay attention, right? You'd pay attention. But if he turned up in person, oh, your, your world would be rocked. Um, well, the law was a message from the one true God sent by special messengers, angels, prophets. But in the message of the gospel, the king himself has come to speak to us directly. I mean, what will happen if we say we're too busy, if we say there's something good on TV? Jesus himself was not only the messenger, he was the message. He, he is the good news incarnate. And so this writer says, if we neglect this great word, I mean, we're much more guilty than the Old Testament people who disobeyed the word of God given through angels because we have received the full revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So how could we not pay attention to this word and how could we not fix our eyes on him lest we drift? Folks, um, when I'm asked what the hardest part of ministry is, for me it is this. It is maintaining a fully devoted heart towards God. It is it is keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of my faith, and, and not getting lost in the minutia and the non-essentials, and, but instead, you know, keeping a laser focus on our cornerstone, the gospel of grace and salvation through Jesus. But Pastor Jonathan, you, you work in a church surrounded by Christian co-workers talking about church all the time. I know. Isn't that, isn't it ironic, don't you think, um, that in the midst of doing business and ministry that Jesus has called me to, there are long stretches of time where I do it, it seems, with no consideration of the one who called me to it. How sad working in my own strength and my own power, fixing my eyes on Jonathan instead of the source of our salvation and power. Uh, we had another pastor and his wife over to our house on Friday, uh, another pastor from Newmarket, and I think there's some kinship there. Um, and, and the wife of this pastor, maybe she said her greatest ministry to her husband is reminding him of this. It ain't your church, honey. It's Jesus' church. You don't have to own the problems. And you don't get to claim the successes either. It's Jesus' church. I wonder how many, how many long-term, lifelong Christians would be honest enough to say that even though they come to church and identify as Christians and can tell you the Lord's Prayer off by heart, there is something hollow and distant going on in their heart. And if you were honest this morning, how many of you would say you've taken your eyes off Jesus, that there needs to be a revival in your heart? Something needs to soften. Something needs to 
get your attention. This, whole, this is a holy discontent of mine, which unlike most of this series, which has been talks about something happening out there, um, it's a holy discontent about something happening in here. For me, I know, and I'll bet for some of you here this morning. Uh, I was talking to a, a new Christian who, who admitted that after a year of, of being a Christian, there were times where they had taken their eyes off the foundation of their faith, taken their eyes off Jesus. And so this is a condition that potentially starts for every Christian the day they start following Jesus. It's just a natural inclination to, to drift off the focus, off the main message. And so this is for me this morning. This is for you, I suspect. And if you're not a follower of Christ, and you, I guess you're getting a little behind the curtain look at the fact that following Jesus isn't a one and done thing, and then your life is just groovy. It's a daily refocus, recommitment, realignment of your heart to a king and to a kingdom. And so what does it mean to, as the author of Hebrews says, I say the author because we're not totally sure. A lot of people say Paul, but we're not positive. Um, what does it mean to drift away from what we have heard and ignore this great salvation? Um, maybe you assume the author is talking to you know, unsaved folks who sort of drift by an opportunity for salvation. No, the author uses the pronoun we, like the Christian community. And so this is a warning for, for us as Christians, perhaps especially those who have grown up as part of a Christian family, grown up as part of a Christian community. Man, it's just, it's too easy to take our foot off the gas, isn't it? And, and allow other people to do the praying, allow other people to do the worshiping. And, and we'll sort of go along for the ride, we'll go with the flow. Like, consider what the word drifting means. It, it literally means to float by. It's, it's what a piece of bark or a leaf or a dead fish does in a river. It, it floats by the boat that's going upstream. And it takes no life. It takes no motion or effort to float by. Um, one need only do nothing, and you will float by. Anybody watch Survivor? That, yeah, okay, two of us, good, good. I mean, you're much more holy than I am because it is filled with deception and lies, and, but there's a bit of a, a put-down for these survivor players uh, when they talk about other players. Oh, that player's just a floater, and that means they sort of just st <clears throat> stay in the background, let other people make the tough decisions, let other people put their neck out, and they just sort of float by. And, and Hebrews says that if we do not pay attention to this life-changing world-shaking news will float by, you know? We will drift away from God's word. We all know people who this has happened to, right? There's no urgency in them. There's no vigilance. There's no grit. And the fact is, if you're not moving towards Jesus, chances are you're drifting away from him. There's no, there's no floating in the kingdom of God. There's no resting on your laurels. 
sitting on your hands, sort of waiting for Jesus to come back. The life of this world is not a lake. It's a river. And it's, it's floating downward towards destruction. And if we do not listen earnestly to Jesus and follow him daily and fix our eyes upon him hourly, um, then you won't stand still. You'll actually go backwards. You'll float by. Those of us who are committed to this church community, I think we need to reckon with some tough questions every now and then, like um, what people are missing that were here a year ago? Why have they gone? Um, What can we do as the body of Christ to help close that back door? Have they just drifted away? It's one thing to go to another church. It's another thing just to drift away from church community entirely. And drift is so often incremental, isn't it? Like, like the frog in the kettle. Uh, were you here last week for Brett? Yeah, and he sort, of, he sort of botched the frog in the kettle illustration. But the idea is that if you put a frog in a... In a uh, so now I'm going to botch it. Great. He, in a pot of water that's lukewarm, cold, whatever, and just slowly over time... Uh, turn the heat up, apparently this dumb frog will stay until it's frog soup, I guess. It's different than throwing a frog in a pot of boiling water. He'll jump out of there quick, but that incremental drift is what kills him. You know, in his autobiography, Charles Darwin wrote, I came to gradually disbelieve in Christianity as a divine revelation. Disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate. But at last it was complete. The rate was so slow that I felt no distress and have never since doubted even for a single second that my conclusion was correct. If you've been a Christian for, for a length of time, you know people who have drifted. How many people who have been married as long as Vicky and I have or more can look at their wedding party photos or their old wedding pictures and go, divorce, divorce, affair, no longer a Christian, stop going to church, divorce. Last summer, we uh, talked about the stories that Jesus told, the parables of Jesus. And And we talked about the parable of the soil and the seeds. If you'd like to hear those uh, sermons, go to our website, uh, newmarkalliance.ca, or um, download our podcast. By the way, you may, have, uh, you may want to listen to Brett's uh, porn podcast, and uh, it's not up yet. A uh, little funny story is that um, I don't know how this all works, but we are classified as a clean podcast Uh, as I think we probably should be, and something has messed with the algorithms of iTunes or whatever, and they think we're now a dirty podcast. Um, We're getting it fixed, but I found that humorous. So we're going to crank up the four-letter words a little bit for the next few weeks. Just, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, Jesus said that that in that parable, that it... It may be the persecution and the cares of this world that will cause people to drift. 
They think, I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for persecution. I thought God promised me a good life. No one told me that being a Christian causes problems. Forget it. I'm, I'm out of here. Another cause of drifting might be money. Uh, the Lord said through the Apostle Paul, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. And so to some, money becomes worth any sacrifice, any compromise. They don't even recognize money as an idol as they drift away. And other people drift because of bad companions. Proverbs says that a companion of fools suffers harm. And that harm could even be leaving the faith. Um, Maybe these people think, I'm finally accepted. I, I finally have friends. I'll do anything to keep these friends. They're, they're actually more important to me than my integrity, my conscience, my faith. Um, binging on all the world has to offer can cause us to drift. Too much food dulls our hunger for God. Too much leisure, too much sex, too much work, too much TV dulls our sensitivity towards God. That's why we encourage this thing called fasting, uh, giving up something for a season as we recognize that nothing is more fulfilling than Christ. Drifting is, is, is a deadly thing in the Christian life, and the remedy to it, according to Hebrews 2, verse 1, is pay close attention to what you have heard. Pay attention. That is, consider what God is saying through his son, Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews says, he says, don't miss this. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Pay attention to the salvation that he's offering. Don't skip over it. Don't neglect it. Don't um, take it lightly. Sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I have this sense of, of being a pastor is a little bit like being an airline uh, stewardess. I met, a, I met a former airline stewardess this morning, and uh, it's like, it's like they're trying to give you safety instructions on how to make it out alive, and no one is listening. Have you been on a plane lately? Like, here's how to buckle up, and here's the exit rows, and here's what happens if the oxygen, and no one cares. I mean, everybody's got their headphones on, and there's the, you know, they're reading a the magazine, they're talking. No one pays attention to the little video that they play now. Um, All she's trying to do, all he's trying to do is get you out alive, and nobody's listening. And so, in a lot of ways, that's what we're here trying to do. We're trying to get you out of life alive. In fact, the stakes are a lot higher than just losing your life in a crash. We're talking about your soul. And anyone who's ever tried to teach Jesus and his way know that a great deal of the crowd has their headphones on and are reading a magazine. Oh, me too. This is for me too. I, I want you to be honest. Are you drifting this morning? When prayer ceases to be a vital part of a professing Christian's life, maybe you're drifting. When, when the quest for biblical truth ceases and you become kind of content with what you already know, Maybe you're drifting. When, when thoughts about the reality of eternity, of the condition of souls of your 
neighbors and coworkers and loved ones don't move you anymore? Could it be that you're drifting? When aspirations for Christ-likeness, holiness, um, are no longer on your radar, could it be that you're drifting? You know, when I hear Jesus' name taken in vain, when I can listen to spiritual things mocked, and, and I'm not grieved by that, could it be I'm drifting? When, um, when there's injustice and misery that exists, and my heart isn't stirred, and, and I do nothing to relieve it, could it be I'm drifting? I, I have this tension of not, of not wanting to leave you with vague answers, you know? I think in my own life how practical steps and application have really benefited my maturity and my relationship with Christ. You know, that's why I love Brett's talk last week. It was intensely practical. In fact, it felt like a fire hose of, of tips and tricks and tools for us to use. And I, I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I just ended this message by saying, you know, don't drift, everybody. Lean into Jesus. Well, what does that mean? I, I want to I give you maybe some wisdom on what that practically looks like, but here's where I get nervous, okay? I would be more grieved. I'd actually feel like I'd, I would have done more harm than good if you left here thinking, oh, good, I have another set of rules, another checklist of things I have to do, more good works to impress God. You know, our so-called good works, God calls them filthy rags. Jesus came to destroy that works-based mentality. In fact, it's the author of Hebrews who is warning this congregation not to drift back into a gospel uh, that Jesus had, had died for. Not more legalism, not more law, because that's not where their hope and salvation is found. So he's calling them, don't drift back into rules. In some ways, it's easier to have very clear rules. But we have a gospel of grace. And so I don't want to have anyone leaving here thinking I'm giving another burden to put on themselves, another list of things to get done. These are, these are principles and practices um, that are right from Hebrews. We as a staff have experienced and, and experienced fruitfulness and joy in building our relationship with Christ through these. So, so for instance, when I give, you know, pre-marriage counseling, for instance, I might say things like, you know, be sure to have a date night and offer to wash the dishes and tell each other how much you love them and be quick to apologize and and make your spouse your new first loyalty over your family of origin. And you know what the couple doesn't say? Well, we don't want to be legalistic about it, <laughs> right? What they say is, yeah, like, we want to put energy and intentionality into each other because we love each other. We want our relationship to grow. They're truly in love. Well, in the same way... Um, we love God, and we, and we want principles and practices that would actually grow our relationship. We don't see it as, as rules. So the first thing is found right in this 
verse, and it's the overarching principle in all, in all of this. It says, listen, listen. Man, that's a command we need for 2019. What do you listen to? Whom do you listen to? God has spoken through his son. Do you listen to him? And how does your listening to him compare with the other voices that you hear? You know, when we want to listen to someone, we make provisions for listening. If we want to listen to music, you know, we make sure that we have a CD player or a sound system in our car, and we don't want to be on AM because that sounds horrible, and then we... If I had to pick, I would pick the Santa Fe over the accent because the Santa Fe has better sound, deeper bass. And if you really want to listen to it well, I'd listen to it on the Bose system at home. We make provisions to you know, really listen to. If we want to listen to the news, we make sure the radio's on 680 News or the TV on, on CNN. If we're like Rudy and, and Jeannie Fast who are gone for several months and they want to stay connected with NAC, um, there's some intentionality involved. They have to download a podcast app and subscribe to our podcast and, and set aside time to listen to us. If you want to listen to the latest Jack Reacher novel, you, you buy a paperback in the airport. If you want to really listen to a professor at school, you may even take notes. Um, on and on it goes. We all have different things we're listening to, and we make accommodations accordingly. Well, what about listening to God's word to us in and through his son? Are you, are you listening to that? Are you making provisions for that? Whether it's in your kitchen or your backyard or in your car. God is speaking, folks. Whether you believe it or not, God is always speaking. question is, are you listening? Listen. And I believe God will speak to you. And sometimes maybe it's just putting out a question. Jesus, what would you have me do next? And then taking the time to hear from him. And it may mean resetting some schedules. It may mean turning some noise off, getting away alone. But God will speak. Are you listening? We listen through his word so we don't treat this casually. We don't act as if we already know it all or that we have nothing to gain through listening through his word. There's an urgency here in Hebrews, isn't there? Literally, it says, it is exceedingly necessary that we give heed to what we have heard through his word. I think of my dad who experiences God through his discipline of scripture memorization, entire long passages, sometimes an hour or two of memorizing a day. Now, could that be legalism? I suppose it could turn into that, yes. Um, if memorization is the goal, for him, the goal is experiencing Jesus through his word. Are you listening to God through his word? Are you listening to God through prayer? You know, later on, we'll read in Hebrews 5 that Jesus himself, our, our model, offered up prayers and petitions and fervent cries through his life. The perfect man stayed in relationship with his father. I mean, that's good enough for me. Uh, prayer isn't a monologue either. We, we talked about this earlier this year. It's, it's asking, it's confessing, it's listening. The Christian life 
really is a life of contemplation, listening to Jesus, considering Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Everything else in the Christian life really grows out of this. We listen through worship. Um, let's just stay in Hebrews while we're there. It says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. There is something spiritual, spiritual, <clears throat> spiritual about singing to the Lord. He actually commands it. He says, sing to me, all throughout the Psalms. And um, he's not asking us to sing to him because he needs it. So he must be asking us to sing because we need it somehow. It, in, it is in the act of worship that God communicates his presence to his people. It is, it is, worship is revelation and response. God reveals himself and we respond with gratitude and praise. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord. And honestly, um, too much of my experience has been about horizontal singing, singing about Jesus, singing to a screen, singing to the back of someone's head. And if we believe that God is present in our worship, as he promises to be in, in Psalm 22, then our worship is literally to him. It's not merely about him. Another way we listen is through the gathering, right? Um, here's what it says, and I'll stay in Hebrews not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then 1 Corinthians, what then shall we say, brother and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and everything must be done so that the church may be built up. I find it interesting that the more you drift the more you consciously or unconsciously remove yourself from community. Isn't that interesting? You remove yourself from people. We listen. We listen. The experts in um, interpersonal communication tell us that there are, there are different kinds of listening. Uh, we listen for different purposes and, and at different levels of intensity. And so the lowest level is simply you know, sensing or noticing sound waves strike the ear, like, like you notice background music in the mall. That's sort of the lowest form. And then there's a lot of steps in between, but they talk about the highest form of listening is actually responding, right? You allow a message to influence your heart and your actions. If we are listening on that level, then then a worship song isn't just a nice ditty. It's not Christian karaoke. It instead becomes a, a personal story of life change where we might cry out in prayer, thank you, Jesus, for this amazing grace that, that saved a wretch like me. You know, the words of Scripture don't become same old, same old because um, when we listen with that attitude of response, his words become like marching orders for us. 
You respond when you're engaged at that top level of listening. And which level of listening do you think the author of Hebrews has in mind when he says, pay close attention to what you have heard? Like parents, raise your hand if you're a parent in the room. Have you ever said, uh, weren't you listening to me when you told your kid to clean the room? Weren't you listening? Now, kids, just so you know, we're not implying by that question that there's been some hearing loss, okay? We're not wondering, did they literally hear me? What we're wondering is why your listening didn't produce action. That's what that question means. Hearing is not complete until it gets to the feet. Ooh, that's good. Write that down. (laughs) Hearing is not complete until it gets to the feet. Welcome to a Southern Black Church, everybody. I'm glad that you came this morning. (laughs) Hearing is not just an ear thing. It's a feet thing. And listen, God gives his best stuff to people who do not want to know it, but who do it. Sometimes doing means you got to step out. Hebrews says that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And I'll bet some of you this morning um, are going to college or changing vocations, and you're not sure how that bill is going to be paid. You just know that God has asked you to step out. Good on you. Another way we actively listen and respond is through repentance. It really means to turn away or to turn around. And there's some confusion in our day, I think, about what it means to repent. You know, we slap 1 John 9 on everything. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. And ju- well, it, it, it turns into sometimes, oops, there was a sin. Oop, that was a sin too. Hey, there's another one. And before we can say what God says about our sin, maybe we need to see how God sees our sin. Show us our sin, Lord, and how it affects you and why it caused you to choose the cross. We can break free from sort of that sin cycle of confess sin, confess sin, if we recognize that confession leads to true repentance and true repentance leads to sincere life change. I want to invite the band to come. There are many Christians this morning who will drift. Years, decades of drifting. And it's a, it's a tragedy, not because some will wake up one day and say, I'm not sure I ever believed this in the first place. But it's a tragedy because life becomes so joyless and blasé and non-abundant. In some ways, it's a wasted life. Just attending and never doing. Um, Always learning, but never applying. Getting older, but not really growing. I drift, folks, and you drift. We all drift. I, I wonder, though, if the mark of the true child of God is that we don't drift for long. We course correct. If you're drifting this morning, I think one of the signs of hope that you are born again is that you feel your heart pierced about it. You feel what we call convicted. 
you have a rising desire to turn your eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. We're going to go to the communion table now. I'll invite our communion host to come. I, what better way to fix our eyes on Jesus? One of, it's one of just a couple things that Jesus asked us to do as a church, to remember him through this meal of sorts. It's an illustration of his blood and his body, of his grace and of his salvation. It's an illustration of the banquet that he invites us to, of the dinner that we will share with him one day in eternity. And I feel like I want to even apologize to you, church, for, for the times when communion sort of feels like an afterthought or we haven't done it for six or seven weeks uh, haven't shared in the Lord's table together. If anything, I think um, we might one day partake of it every, every Sunday. I don't know. I, I feel like I'd rather err on that side. I just know that this is an important part of what church does to symbolically and literally fix our eyes on Jesus. He says, remember me through these elements. So Remember him this morning, and in doing so, we fix our eyes on Jesus.